Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct pleasure to welcome you back to the Ghost Army podcast. Now, we did roll out an episode of the Ghost Army podcast not too long ago. Uh, We rolled it out because we brought back the man, the myth, the legend, our good buddy Seabax, who was such a big name in early bolt action that we had to bring it back. And when we put that out, Yes, that episode was a little bit more about how to play competitively with Greeks. It wasn't really the theme for the Ghost Army, but it was bolt action related, obviously. And we had a ton of feedback from that episode. Everyone loved it. It was great. But there was a lot of calls or questions of, wait, does this actually mean you guys are back for real? Because at the beginning of that episode, I did say that one of the reasons we false restarted in 2020 was we wanted to do the video audio version of this show. And we wanted to move forward in a way that was in alignment with the technology, the dreams that we'd had for this podcast way back when. And that is now working. If you are listening to this, this show is also going to be on YouTube. And if you're watching it on YouTube, the audio is available from all of your podcatchers. So now the technology is where we need it to be and we have aligned ourselves with it. And so, yes, I believe as John Wick says, we are back. And yes, there were a lot of questions of, is the original cast coming back? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think there's only way one way I can answer that question. And that's to introduce the first member of our cast besides myself. And that is the man who rides Grimlock into battle. A man who probably painted two armies while I was doing this introduction. And the man who has an unholy fixation for anything French in World War II. The man, the myth, the legend. Patch, welcome back to the Ghost Army Podcast. Hello, Brad. (laughs) Ha ha! I've been waiting years to hear that. Also joining us is a very handsome man from the deep south of the United States, a man whose voice you would probably know from the Lead Pursuit podcast, and a man who is also an old school Gap cast member. Casey, welcome back, brother. My brother. So good to be back. So exciting. (laughs) Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, the Gap is back. The cast is in the house. Now, if you're saying, you know, ooh, are we going to get Brian at some point? We'll see. Are we going to get the bear? Is Seamus going to be in the house? You know it. We got this. The gap is back, and we will be back with more content soon. But today is sort of a, a catch-up to where we've been, what are we excited about, and more to the point, how to prepare for that dark time of year where Mariah Carey is playing everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Christmas. Patch, talk to us about 
the Ghost Army podcast. Why are we here and what are we doing? Brad, you called me. I thought we we're going to talk about dinner next week. And now I'm on a cold action <laughs> podcast. Not exactly sure what's happening, but I'm going to roll with it. Um, yes, Ghost Army podcast is back. We'll, uh, <laughs> it's been a while. And it's been a while, but I'm, I'm very happy to go back talking about bold action um, over the next 12 months, 18 months, two years. Let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. Casey, uh, anything you want to add to that? Or should we uh, get stuck into what we have been up to, my good man? I mean, just like what Patch said, it's the perfect time. You got a lot of great bolt action podcasts out there. A lot of them, you know, mm -hmm. kind of talk about some talk about tactics, events, competitive stuff. And, you know, like we're going to kind of go into more detail later. Bolt action is so big. There's room for all of us. And I don't. I know there's a lot of other players just like me that are thirsty for podcasts. So you know, we'll go back to where we're talking about the history and the hobby and just kind of the stuff we love. And you know, there's room for all of us here. So I think now's the perfect time to do it. Well, gentlemen, let's talk about some bolt action that we have been getting involved in now. For those who haven't been paying attention to the Cast Dice podcast, um, this golly, we ran four bolt action events in Melbourne this year. We ran Easter Front. Uh, Lee Avery and I ran Easter Front, which is the two day event in Easter at the Conquest Game Convention in Melbourne. Uh, we also ran the Bolt Action World Series, uh, which, if you haven't listened to that format, it is one of my favorites. There is a whole episode on Cast Dice about that. We also ran Jump to Action, which was a, be a beginner-friendly bolt-action experience in the run-up to Operation Bear, which sold out with 20 players and had a long waiting list, which was really exciting to see. Eight new players. As Casey said, it's a really exciting time to get into bolt-action. And stemming from that, we jumped from Jump to Action to Operation Bear, and there was a local bolt-action league for players to be prepared for Operation Bear and Operation Bear just ran recently. And if you would like to hear me talk about that, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it in a minute, there's a whole episode about it that just went up on the Cast Dice uh, podcast network with Lee, the other TO. Again, he and I co ran that event and one of our top players, Pedro. But let's talk about other games and other people's hobby because you guys have heard me talk about it quite enough. Patch, let's talk a little bit about some games you've been playing. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a couple of years since I've played much in the way of bolt action, um, due to you know life and and other interests, and and I've been playing fairly consistently uh, games like Kings of War for a little while, but mm -hmm. uh, re-entering the fold, and amazingly, just yesterday I got a couple of amazing games in over in uh, over at your place so i might i might talk about those bring it on right uh so yesterday we got together with a, a couple of uh mates down in melbourne and we while i visit and we played a couple of games of good old-fashioned bolt action uh so I quickly had to scratch an army together because i didn't bring one with me and uh luckily brad's got four hundred thousand miniatures <laughs> sitting in his house uh -huh. So I was able to put together a, a Seek army, and what what a fun fun army to play that is, uh, using these beautifully painted miniatures that Brad had, put together just a single reinforced platoon, and uh, it was it was really robust, it was fun, it had lots of tools, uh, and uh, do you want me to quickly go through the army? Is that something I could do? 
Yes. Desperate. Let me quickly clarify something. There's a little bit of a community hoo-ha about uh, the Sikhs at the moment because in the soft underbelly book, they did give the Sikhs the ability to get a free squad and the free air observer and a bunch of national rules and, and, and. Now, if you're wondering, Patch wasn't doing the metagaming thing of taking all the free stuff with all the extra national rules. He was actually using the Sikh rules out of Duel in the Sun, which means you get a free 10-man regular squad, just riflemen, um, but you can upgrade it and pay for the upgrades, which he did, and he'll talk about in a sec. And you get the rule that you get to re-roll your morale if you're going to be destroyed. It's basically the cut and paste of the Soviet rule. So in a way, Patch was almost playing uh, Indian Soviets in this game, if that makes sense. Uh, But Patch, tell us about your list. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, that free rule with the the re-roll is only only useful if you remember to use it. Uh, So (laughs) I didn't remember a single time throughout the couple of games we had so ultimately mm. our only only rule we got was the free squad uh so what did i put together uh put together so i had a, a second lieutenant reg- so the entire force was regular mm-hmm. uh, i had a second lieutenant i had two squads of 10 men which i paid for and each squad sort of mid-war uh, smg one smg for the nco and a, and a light machine gun and then on top of that i got the free 10 man squad but i upgraded it to have the nco having an smg as well as an lmg so i had three identical squads yeah. um then i had two five man squads each with an sm uh, with the uh, nco having an smg mm-hmm. and the reason i had two five man squads was because i wanted to fit them into the two india carriers that i was mm-hmm. that i was taking and each one of those india carriers and for those who aren't familiar with those what they are is basically the same rules as a universal carrier. In fact, they're, they're contained within the uh, universal carrier write-up, and there's mm-hmm. a small line there which converts them to Indian carriers. And the big difference between the two was that uh, the Indian carriers are wheeled vehicles, whereas the universal carriers mm-hmm. are tracked. And, and with those India carriers upgraded, it so they automatically come with one forward-facing LMG, and I added a second LMG on a pintle, which allowed for both of those Indian carriers with mounted troops to fire two LMGs each. Uh, once, of course, the troops dismount, that goes down to one, and the and they come under the uh, transport rule. You could also take one as an armored carrier, uh, armored car in that selection if you wanted. Uh, I didn't do that, however. So after that, I did take a regular sniper. Uh, I clearly haven't learnt from any of my experience previously in bolt action. (laughs) And I took a sniper who managed to pretty much do nothing for the entire day, except Mm -hmm. put pins on. Okay. So then uh, a regular mortar, a medium mortar with a spotter, a 25 pounder, didn't take a spotter with that. uh, And the blackered, blackered bombard. Is that, did Mm -hmm. I say that correctly, Brad? Yeah, Blacker Bombard, it's a spigot launcher. It was traditionally, it was one of those weird British things built for the Home Guard in case Germany invaded. But Blacker, the guy who actually invented it, I can't remember his title or his first name, but Mr. Blacker, I know that isn't his actual title, I apologize, bad Brad, worked a lot with uh, Indian regiments prior to the outbreak of World War II. And I believe... Uh, it's one of those things you can find sources saying that it was, yes, mainly they were mainly used in home guard units, but there are people who say they were also used in Indian units, which is why they appear here. 
and it's a spigot launcher. It's sort of a pre-piot piot. It's a, a 24 inch um, direct fire, no indirect, uh, basically, you know, HE weapon. And rounding it out, I had the M3 leak. So the, mm -hmm. the big boy, uh, and I added an extra Coppola MMG to it. So mm -hmm. it had the forward facing uh, medium anti tank gun slash light uh, artillery piece in the front, the mm -hmm. light anti tank gun in the turret, the whole mounted, whole mounted, sorry, coax MMG, and a, mm -hmm. effectively a pintle mounted MMG. So that sort of rounded out the list, um, came just short of a thousand points. Mm -hmm. And that was. It was quite robust and uh, quite a good list without having to sort of game any of the components, uh, just rolling them out. And the first game I played was against John, and he mm -hmm. was playing a entirely veteran Chinese list, which was super unique, uh, almost never seen mm -hmm. uh, in my experience on the table. I was going to say, that's something you never see. <laughs> and in case folks are wondering, it is a nationalist Chinese army. It's not communist. It's not warlord. It's the the nationalist list. So I know that people have talked in the past about veteran communist armies, possibly because of the forward deploying rules. No, 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 kids. These were the nationalists. Yeah, that's right. And uh, sort of to, to, the list was centered around a couple of really big 10-man veteran squads, uh, along with a T-26, was it? T-26 yep. and a triple two. Uh, and, you know, you sort of border with a artillery piece along there and a, a little soul suicide one man suicide uh, anti-tank dude uh so we come up against them and we played a, a the mission called supply run supply drop supply drop uh mm -hmm. which effectively meant that you deployed it at, at either side of the table uh you had a six inch deployment zone uh and then at the start of turn four a counter would be placed dead center of the table, and then you would roll 3d6 with a activation dice because it's got the arrows on it. What happened then is then you would, uh, whichever direction that arrow is pointing, you add up the 3d6. I think you add some more to that as well. Is that right, Brad, or is it just flat 3d6? 3, 3d6 3 plus 9. 3d6 plus 9 inches, and then that ends up where your first token is. Then you draw a direct opposite and the same distance, so you've what ends up on the table is 3 tokens in a a line across mm -hmm. um so the way this happened for us is it sort of ended up with one the one token in uh his deployment zone one token in my deployment zone and then the one in the middle and as we went through uh the initial phases of the game was just sort of potting each other off and doing some moving around and a he sort of battle at which i got the upper hand and was able to sort of lock down his medium water put some pins on some other units there, including his triple two, and kept him fairly restrained. I, I would say I, I won the HE battle. Mm -hmm. And then come turn four, we basically had to focus on the center token, fight over that, because it was just for either of our forces to be able to go so, so deep into our enemy deployment zones and capture those objectives. So what happened was we had some flankers, which was great. Um, there's a nice picture. <laughs> Uh, going around, which was uh, my M3 Lee coming in from a flank, mm -hmm. opening up uh, in a rather, rather useless effort against some infantry, which didn't really achieve much. And then the T26 coming on directly behind it and point blank 
uh, firing into the the rear armor and destroying it. So that was that was not great on my behalf, but but really great on John. So he was able to yeah. take out that armor, which made the the armor battle effectively have a bit of a nil issue from that point on because those two units were put to the side. So it become an infantry clash on the center objective, and probably the classic bolt action moment. And I'll walk you through it. Uh, needless to say. Very hard for me to get rid of these big 10-man veteran squads, uh, mm-hmm. primarily because they just lots of pins, but I couldn't convert those to kills. So what he had in the end was sort of three infantry squads who were heading towards the center objective, but consistently being bogged down as I kept layering pins on them. Uh, so to, I think it was turn end of turn five, uh, his squads had four plus pins on them, uh, but they were still quite large. And he had a single suicide, the single suicide AT bomber mm-hmm. was within range. And I had a single unit within range, my second lieutenant. Uh, as the dice have been pulled, uh, he got the second to last dice and moved his AT man into position to capture the center objective. I pulled the last dice and my second lieutenant casually walked up and bearing in mind it was a pistol but it was a small man team and he was in cover i needed a six to hit him and i hit him with a six it was a single veteran so i needed a five or a six to kill him and i rolled another six so my lieutenant just casually executed this anti-tank dude sitting on the objective <laughs> <laughs> which we all just sort of looked at each other and went well that was kind of somewhat of an epic bolt action moment mm-hmm. and uh fast forward to the two last dice of the game, mm-hmm. it was my second lieutenant holding the objective. His only unit that had not activated was the triple two. And it was at range. He needed fours to hit him due to the everything going on. And two shots with the light auto cannon. If he had hit my second lieutenant, it would have drew the game. If he misses, then I win. And he rolled two threes. Oh. <laughs> and we've looked at each other and went, that's that's the main reason why bold action is such a good game. Because after six turns, it came down to rolling two dice to see whether or not it's a draw or a, or a win or a loss. Yeah. So that was an amazing. And we both just had such a fun game, uh, such a great re-entry into bolt action and and it, it just automatically renewed my love for for the game and why i why i'm coming back to bolt action so, so did it how hard was it because you and i both haven't played a game in a couple of years how hard was it to like did the rules just start coming back to you uh, i was lucky that you know the people i'm playing and the people there were, were quite quite current mm-hmm. and and like all the the broad things are all the same we had a couple of moments where we're looking at each other going yeah not not quite sure about that and and an example was uh in the next game yeah assaulting buildings yeah sort of stuff we had to just quickly revisit it and 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 it's a run order to go into a building yeah you know can you assault the second story when you're running no you've got to enter a building and then so there's a few little tweaks that that needed to uh do it and also there was a couple of rules for other game systems rattling around my head (laughs) which uh which didn't help but but ultimately, the rules are relatively simple and easy to pick up. But it's a good question, Casey. Um, now, I do want to quickly point out that John also didn't have an army with him when he showed up that day. 
And John has been on, I believe, The Gap at one point. If, if not, he's been on Cast Ice many times. And John is incredibly knowledgeable about Chinese forces before World War II and throughout World War II and even post-World War II. He knows an amazing amount of information. And it was truly a gap moment when he was handed a case, which I knew he loved the Chinese, so I brought the Chinese out for him. And he was able to create a historically themed force in about two minutes with an army mm -hmm. he'd never played before. And it was, I, it was unbelievable. It was, yep, this was in that battle. This wasn't, this was, this wasn't. Just oh, from that's the, right. off the cuff. The man knows his stuff and he's a serious player. So the fact that you came out of quote unquote hibernation to play the guy who came second at bolt action world series and tied or no beat him is yeah. speaks volumes. There's another epic moment, which I'll discuss, which uh, and he was such a great opponent to play. And we mm -hmm. both had such a huge amount of fun because um, the dice was incredible. He had his, his veteran big sword squad, mm -hmm. which, which charged one of my units. And this was for the center objective in, in about turn four. And without, hesitation he killed nine out of ten of my seek regulars in the first swing of those swords <laughs> so he just destroyed them and it was it was only ever going to be a you know a single outcome from that battle right however the big moment came in because he had exposed himself by virtue of the assault to a bit of open ground before my blacker bombard and another mm. 10 man squad seek squad sitting there in hard cover and so he needed to roll I think it was at least three on the uh, on the dice, the, the consolidation dice, yep. to get back into some hard cover, and he rolled a one. So the next couple of dice were mine, and and he had a big squad in the open, in relatively short range to all my firepower, and they got taken off the table. <laughs> so so if that that big sword squad had managed to get back into cover there was probably not a lot i was able to do to to get them out so a great epic moment of bolt action uh fortunately it went my way so the second game against dave was he was running so i was running the same list and he was running a uh all veteran again uh british paratrooper and it was a primarily based again around big big veteran squads and a couple of mortars with a the unique twist was a, the three jeeps with the dual mm -hmm. vickers k on the front um and so and it was what was the mission again with that one brad it was it was similar but it was set up in quarters jump to action jump to action okay so what it meant was that you got the quarter of a table a diagonal quarter of a table to set you up to half your troops in mm -hmm. and then the rest would come in in reserve or out flank uh, so what I did with my forces was just set up my infantry units in relatively good cover, um, bunkering down, holding some objectives uh, with my HE units, and then I uh, I brought on a flank or I put into flank my M3 lead along with my two Indian carriers and squads. Uh, as the the game sort of started, he, he of course had the free observer, which which put a big uh, highlight on a couple of my big squads. Um, I then had to run them. And uh, one of the silliest things I, I did was went, well, if I'm going to run, I'm just going to run at him. So I, I charged across the table and uh, entered a building where his sniper was. 
with a with a ten man seek unit, and I and I'll go through that a little bit more detail. Well, we'll play it throughout. So I ran in there. He then brought a squad on to fire at them. There was all sorts of firing back and forwards in the building, um, which he just kept rolling terribly for. So my squad was little sort of bunkered down, exchanging fire, still able to move, and eventually assaulted his uh, two-man sniper squad and killed them. And I now held the upper story of a two-story building, which was effectively mm-hmm. butting his deployment zone and causing a massive issue because he couldn't project his forces forward whilst there was a squad hugging his deployment zone. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I guess it pays to be a little bit bold and somewhat yeah. silly. <laughs> but it paid off in that extent. But what happened, the turning point of that game, unfortunately uh, for Dave, was that I brought on the M3 Lee on the same flank that he had devoted his Jeeps to. And mm-hmm. the M3 Lee, with its really big bottom, just held up the road. Uh, yep. But at the same time, which didn't allow his Jeeps to project forward into my area. But what happened was that M3 Lee then turned around and pretty much just decimated a 10-man veteran squad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he brought his Jeeps on. They all ended up being in a bit of a car park because they couldn't get around the M3 Lee. But then I was able to bring in my Indian carriers uh, and with their dual LMGs and then deployed squads. So just, look, all his Jeeps blew up. Yeah. And it kind of just destroyed that flank. It destroyed his ability to project any sort of any sort of uh, power into the objectives that I was holding. Uh, so around turn five, I was holding three objectives that he's won, and he had no ability really to, yeah. to change that. So we, we called the game off at turn five. Yeah. We, and despite what, what appears to be a, a somewhat one-sided contest, it, uh, like bolt action, you know, there was just a moment mm-hmm. where it could have gone either way. Uh, I just happened to get lucky with my dice. So, so to yeah. summarize the last day, it was an amazing re-entry point for me. I had a super good time. I remembered all the amazing good things about Bold Action, and I'm That's super it. energized and enthusiastic uh, into the future now to to really play and promote some Bold Action. I love hearing your enthusiasm. Like, it yeah, leaks right? through. It's so fun to hear. Yeah, great time. Now, I, I, wanna, I won't talk at length but i do want to mention while you were playing those games i was playing the gentleman who ran the local bolt action league a guy named john a different john who um was bringing his americans uh, pacific americans and obviously we played on a normandy village because you know historical reasons uh and i was bringing germans uh battle of the bulge germans just because i thought someone should be playing axis that day we also played supply drop now john wanted to try something really interesting and he deployed one unit on the table uh, in his deployment and everything else he held in reserve. And he ended up having a ton of units in outflank. And, you know, usually you go, ooh, which side is they coming in on? And with the new FAQ that says once one unit tests to come on, fail or pass, you need to say where everything's coming on. He'd actually just put all of his units on his display tray this is this side of the board. This is the other side of the board. And the second he rolled for the dice, he actually just pointed it out and said, yeah, this is the situation, just so you know how it works. But I think he had six or seven units and transports in uh, outflank. So the way the game ended up playing was because I put half my force on the board and then the rest came on in turn two, just from regular reserve. I basically drove up, took the middle 
of the board, knowing the first objective was going to be dead center. And I pushed a little bit into his, but then everything came in from the sides and it was the classic pincer and it made for a really exciting game. And as you said, patch, there were some moments where the game could have gone either way. And just, it was some fantastic bolt action. John played it to a T and it was really great to see, you know, someone who is really enthusiastic about the game, trying new tactics, particularly since he had played that mission a couple of times. So he was used to it and he, you know, was trying to figure out new ways to, uh, to get a leg up, so to speak. And it, yeah, fantastic game. Casey, we've talked about games at my house a little bit, uh, now, but let's talk about what you've been up to because you have been playing uh, a variety of games and most recently you are at MCON. Yes. So we just had, so Austin, Texas, every Veterans Day weekend, we have Millennium Con. It's done by the Lone Star Historical Miniature Society, and it's basically Texas's biggest uh, historical convention every year. It's probably one of my favorite times of year. It's like an early Christmas for me. I'm always mm-hmm. super excited. This year, I didn't want to, you know, last year I ran a big Blood Red Skies uh, event, and I ran some demos, but work's been so busy, just life's been crazy. I just, I wanted to have fun. Didn't want to have to host anything. Didn't want to do any demos. So um, I actually sat down and just played some games. And uh, I worked a lot with, as everybody knows, in Bolt Action community, John Russell. He's one of our really good friends. Kind of helped him work at the booth, sold a lot of Bolt Action stuff, got people hooked. But one of the uh, two games that really stood out that I played, I played uh, Blood and Steel, Victorian Age Combat by Firelock Games. And it was mm-hmm. actually the authors, um, Damien and Edgar, who were there putting it on. Just the nicest guys you could ever meet. So much fun, huge bolt action fans, uh, Blood Red Skies fans, great guys. They signed my rule book. You know, Victorian age, you don't see a lot. It actually is Civil War, which, you know, I don't know anything about Victorian age combat. So mm-hmm. you actually see some, to me, like some bolt action mechanics in it, but it was kind of the same type of game. Just, you know, a lot of fun, skirmish combat. Mm-hmm. So we played that. We played like a Zulu demo. And then I played uh, What a Tanker, Two Fat Lardies. And it was mm-hmm. just the perfect, uh, you know, like beer and pretzels game. Yeah. We played it in 15 millimeter, a lot of fun, some drinks, stuff like that. So I always encourage people, you know, if you have a lot of people over a big group game, it's a lot of fun. And then, uh, you know, one of the reasons that really got me back into this is they have a bolt action event every year. I ran it for a number of years. I can't even think how many now, probably four. Mm-hmm. And another guy's taking it over, which is good on him. It's a lot of work, but it just, I went up there and it was kind of a shock to me. And, you know, I really, I started this group when it was just one table at this convention and it was four guys using the uh, Battle of the Alamo terrain. We've talked about this on past podcasts, but, mm-hmm. you know, I built it up to these huge, like 30 man events, doing it at armor museums and stuff. And then when I went there and saw, and I saw the terrain and just some of these lists, and I'm not knocking people who want to play competitively. Like I said earlier, bolt action is big enough for all of us, but you had a lot of kids. These were some of their first games and you're, you, you're seeing 75 Japanese spearmen lists. You're seeing kids just getting absolutely dominated. You're hearing rules that are pretty common knowledge getting told wrong. And it was just kind of a shock to me. Like, this was my child. And now, like, what has happened to my child? So, you know, I went out to get some smokes and never came back. So uh, it was really like, you know what? I want to get back into this. So uh, I had a talk with the organizers. Uh, talked a lot with John Russell. He gave me a lot of good advice. And so, you know, I kind of got back into it. I've already signed up to do the event again next year. 
structured a lot different, talked to a lot of people, got them on board. And, you know, one of my big things is I love good terrain. A table makes everything. It brings people Mm -hmm. to it. It helps the immersion thematic. It's just so much fun. And I know, you know, on this podcast, we always talk about terrain. We love it. And it was almost worse than the 40K terrain you see, which we love to make fun of. So (laughs) it just, God, man, it was, it was hard to see, you know, it was, there were some very rough lists and it was, there were like kids in there just getting raffle stomped by some of these lists. And I'm not saying like, you know, I'm not going to say that it's ever break, but come on, you're playing against kids. Like you want them to want to come back next year and play. This is our future generation of bolt action players. We don't want to gatekeep by that. Like it's kind of a gentleman's rule. Like, Hey, let's like, you don't have to let them win, but let's give them a good game. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Patch, go ahead. Yeah, just a just an observation. And whilst, you know, terrain and game style seem to sort of fluctuate a little bit, it, it's a bit of a testament to the game about how enduring it is. Mm. You know, that you can step away for a couple of years and you're turning up and it's still being played and it's still got quite a pull factor, doesn't it? Like there's still a lot of oh, people wanting to play bolt action. Absolutely. And it's just, you can't find, there is not a better World War II rule set out there for Skirmish and 28mm. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sure there's some that does some things great, but I can go to my next door neighbor's house who's never played bolt action in his life and spend about 30 minutes and I'll get him hooked and he'll be playing. And that's the thing. And just watching the order dice and everything. And, you know, kind of like you, I've been playing separate games. I've been busy with work and life and it just, it sucked me right back in. And so the last couple of weeks as I've been building stuff, like I, it's the happiest I've been in the hobby in a long time. And I know we had talked about this the other night, you know, it's just, it's so great to be back in it. And there's so much stuff catching up on it. New books, the future of what Warlord's bringing out, coming out with. It's just a really mm-hmm. exciting time in the hobby world for me. Yeah. It and is. an excellent and- platform. Like now that you, now that it's been sort of, it's there, a great platform for, for you to bring your enthusiasm back to the, the events and, and really build on that. You've already, you know, you're not having to start a player base from scratch. The player base oh, yeah. is there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of those things, right? You don't want to tell people how to play the game. Like you don't want there to be, you know, those gatekeeping moments that Casey was talking about a second ago where, you know, people who are playing really aggressively drive people out. But you also don't want to be the gatekeeping guy who says that you have to play bolt action a certain way. And you can't play competitively because that's not in the spirit of the game, sir. So and I've definitely been guilty of both over my time in bolt action, but I think what makes an event work really well is if you set the theme so that you, so the expectation is there. And I I don't know, I didn't see the player pack for this event, but for jump to action recently, we were very clear that this is a beginner friendly event. Veteran players are welcome. We encourage it, but we also encourage people to bring lists that cater for, you know, a fun, relaxed day of bolt action And the idea is to not just play the quote unquote best you can. Yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. And you know, snafu podcast, one of the podcasts I love too, they just had a really good uh, episode about this too, is, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm going to take a, I know what to expect if I'm going to the WTC, right? Right. I know like, Hey, these guys are bringing the heat. So I gotta, you know, it's an arms race. I got to compete too. Mm -hmm. But if, you know, my TO sitting out a pack, Hey, this is a casual fun event. You know, we're not worried about wins and losses. It's about sportsmanship, hobby, mm-hmm. bringing people, being together. Like, I'm not going to bring 80 spearmen and nine flamethrowers. So it's just, you know, and I don't know if the TO just didn't do a good job of articulating this or what happened. But 
it was pretty rough. There was a lot of complaints. There was a lot of unhappy people. And I mean, side note on this, it was some of the worst hygiene I think I've ever seen. I'm pretty sure this guy's clothes were rotting off of him. He might have been a pox walker. Not to reach into another game system, but it oh, was the bad. memories of events. Yeah, yeah. those memories. I, I can actually was, smell. <laughs> this was bad. So I was like, okay, well, I might have to put that in my tournament pack. Make sure you shower the day of. Now, I don't want to make a joke at the expense of later in the episode, but I'm going to. Um, we are going to be talking about recommended Christmas gifts. And one of my gifts that I was <laughs> going to suggest and was actually Games Workshop's uh, Chaos God themed candle scents. <laughs> Uh, and one of them is the Nurgle uh, candle. And look, I'm not going to say that I think the Nurgle one, if you happen to light it, smells like wet goats. But, you know, we've all been to that game store slash game conventions. Anyway, gentlemen, we can talk about events all day, but let's move on to the intelligence update. Gentlemen, let's talk about what we are excited about moving forward forward. Patch, I know that you haven't necessarily been super into the bolt action sphere, but I know having talked to you literally every day for the last God, how many knows how many years, mm. um, you always sort of have your finger on the pulse. Is there anything in particular that's jumping out at you that you're excited about that's either just come out or has been out for a little while and you haven't talked about or that is coming out uh, that you want to talk about on the show? No, look, I think it's it's difficult because, again, not having my uh, my finger on the pulse as much as I would like to, there's a few books I probably need to catch up on. Things like uh, The Empires of the Sun, uh, starting having to look at some of those things to see how that may or may not impact upon my French Foreign Legion. Mm -hmm. um, that may have, a, may have something there I might look at. Uh, as far as sort of upcoming rule books, I, I don't really know yet what's coming out so I'm, I'm really happy to see if you guys want to inform me as well uh what what should i be interested or what should i be really looking forward to uh based on on my interests as you guys are aware i can't recommend enough the new italy book i love it you talk about a fantastic book and it has something in there for everyone has really cool rules a lot of squads you know thematic mm -hmm. immersion that's the first one i would go out and buy it something for everyone, unless you're a Japanese only player, and then you need to go buy yourself a new army. Hey, <laughs> so <laughs> so Casey, from uh, is this? Can you update me? So the new Ital uh, Italy book is it just a an armies of book, or is it is it campaign Italy? Patch, it's the soft underbelly book. It's written by our good friend, friend of the show, Rob Vila, who lives in Sydney. He has been a longtime bolt action player. I God, I used to play him at all the events. In fact, I think you have too. And it is, it isn't an armies of book, but what it does do is something that I know a lot of bolt action players have been wanting for a long time. And what some of the most recent campaign and theater books do, which is give you alternate theater selectors that allow you to take armies that you already have. They give you, in some cases, slightly different national rules. There are new units that have new spin on the rules. Um, there's a, I mean, just about everything's really well balanced and everything is super researched and themed. It really does open a huge amount of options for Commonwealth players in particular 
We have lots of great stuff for Axis players, both Italian and Germans. But yeah, the Soft Underbelly book is really well written. And um, that that might be an exciting moment for me because based off yesterday and you know some miniatures that you might have had lying mm -hmm. around, uh, one of my next projects is going to be to build my very own Seek. Um, yes. Now, correct me again. Uh, is it is it somewhat true that a lot of the armies that were based in North Africa, particularly say the Indian divisions, mm -hmm. were, were were they then refocused the ones that didn't go across to Burma rather than European theatre, the the top you know Normandy style campaigns? Is it right that they were involved in the Italy campaign? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, that is going to be the focus on something that I talk about in a minute. So hold that thought. <laughs> spoiler um, alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, my slide's coming up in just a second. Casey, besides the soft underbelly book, and when I get to my slide patch, I'll answer your question. Is there anything else that's jumping out at you? Um, or should I jump into what I got? I would jump into it because that's probably the main, the really big one that's come out recently. You've had the D-Day books and stuff, and I can't remember where Patch kind of left off, but because I believe, like you're about to hint, we got another, some more Italy coming fast and hard. Yeah, we are. Well, oh, let's well, talk about something away. slightly different, but World War II related. Um, our good friends over at Gray for Now Games have written, uh, they were the guys who wrote Test of Honor. Um, who took it from Warlord and made it their own independent game and has, have really been focusing on that over the, the last couple of years. Fantastic stuff. Um, Graham's really gone out of his way to keep that alive and well because um, there's a really rich community for that game. But he has put together a game called O200 Hours. Now, it's not necessarily quote-unquote new, but we haven't talked about it on this podcast. Um, if you look back through Cast Dice, I do interview... Uh, Graham, about this game right before it just came out, but it is a commando raid game where you have, in the starter set, you have uh, some commandos, British commandos, raiding a German facility, and there's a bunch of different scenarios you can play out. As he said, it's a loud and then quiet game, or sorry, a quiet and then a loud game, and you sneak as much as you can, and you can knock out sentries, and you can sneak around past guard dogs and around you know, cutting holes and fences and doing all that to get as close to the objective as you can. And there's a set of dice to roll to see each time if you get the, the guards to, to notice you. And then as soon as the alarm gets raised or as soon as you decide to open up with your Sten guns or Bren guns, you know, the world lights up and, you know, all the sirens start hooting and then it, it turns into a very different game. And it's just a really cool rule set. I got my grubby paws on it, uh, and I'm really excited to to get some games in. Um, with all the preparation for Operation Bear and some of the other bolt action events, jump to action, etc. I actually haven't had a chance to play it yet. Um, I've also been doing a lot of mission playtesting for something that I'm going to talk about in a sec. But they're about to do French partisan expansion for this game slash other things. And I know a lot of people have been repurposing the rules to play like LRDG SAS commando raids in the desert. It's just really cool. And I really can't wait to get it on the tabletop, uh, especially given that you can use all the models and terrain you already have for bolt action. And it it's on a much smaller table. So it's a lot tighter as far as timing and, you know, a little bit of claustrophobia feeling. Um, I, I imagine this game feels a little uncomfortable to start with and it's a real nail biter, which 
just sounds like a ton of fun. Yeah, I've actually seen it. You know, I had some buddies get it and just, you know, the minis are fantastic. I love mm. the idea of it. Um, I'm horrible at stealth, horrible at stealth video games, horrible at stealth in real life. But uh, <laughs> it's really cool. I love just the idea of it, too. And it seems like it's really something, too, where it's almost board game slash miniatures. So it's a good gateway drug to get your friends who just like board games into mini gaming. Yeah. And it, it it should be said, although the miniatures are excellent and they did do a partnership with War Games Atlantic for some of the plastics, it should be said that you can buy this game without miniatures if you have your own miniatures, which I thought was a really cool touch because sometimes you know you just have enough German soldiers. And so for this, given that I have all the World War II models, it was really just a no-brainer to get the no-mini version. Although now I'm looking at some of the, the character packs going... I actually do want a, uh, you know, a, a partisan soldier with a, a, a Tommy gun, or I want the downed pilot model or the guy with the silence pistol and a, you know, the, the ski mask. That sounds like fun to me. So anyway, um, let's talk about number two, because this goes back to answer patches question that he asked before. So we had the soft underbelly, which turned into the tough gut as far as talking about the Italian campaign. That's how it was described in real life. Now, the soft underbelly book is huge. It had so many units, had so many missions, had so many theater selectors that added so much to bolt action. But that's only the half of it. The other half is the tough gut, which is coming, I believe, in March. At least that's when it's being advertised as coming out. It is also by Rob Vila. It is basically the second half of what he's been doing with the Italian campaign. And if it's anything like the first one, it is going to be off the chain. It is going to be, there's going to be so many new units, so many more theater selectors, so many missions, especially since it will have as part of it one of my favorite battles in World War II, uh, Monte Cassino. And Patch, Ooh. to answer your question, um, Sikh and Gurkha troops and New Zealand troops were used yeah, the Maoris. a lot in that. <laughs> You've just sealed the deal even more. Ladies and gentlemen, please buy some stock in uh, any manufacturers that hold Sikh armies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So, Patch, lots to look forward to, uh, particularly yeah. if you are playing Indian troops in World War II. I think it's an interesting one as I, and we'll we'll go into it probably in a little bit shortly. But as as I plan my my army, as as to which theatre I focus on, right? Mm, yeah. And no. the last one is a release that I'm pretty excited about, and it's a little bit close to home. It is the Bolt Action Alliance 2023 Mission Pack. Now, I did say this in the last episode when talking about Operation Bear. We did plan to have a 2022 mission pack. Now, for those who aren't aware, way back when, in 2016, we put out the very first boltaction.net mission pack, the .net mission pack, which was um, six missions that allowed you to play fair, relatively symmetrical event-style games in bolt action. And we play-tested the heck out of those, and they went out to the community, and they've been used at events worldwide over the years. And in 2020, we had collected a lot of feedback and there were a couple little typos and formatting issues that had to be fixed. We fixed them and republished it as the Bolt Action Alliance because the .NET had become the BAA 2020 mission pack. And we replaced one of the missions in the pack with a new one. 
there was questions of would we do another pack? And the answer is yes. And over the last couple of years, a lot during lockdown as the primary author of those missions, I actually had collected mission rules and ideas for the next pack. Unfortunately, due to Melbourne's extensive COVID lockdown, I wasn't able to properly play test them. So 2022 has been the big year to get ready. And at Easter, we ran two missions. One of them was the one that Patch was talking about earlier, Supply Drop, which is actually has appeared in a lot of places. A couple of events in other parts of the world have run it. We ran it at Easter. We ran it at Operation Bear. It's recently appeared on an episode of Tabletop CP. Uh, they ran a game of it, and Travis sent us his feedback. He liked it a lot. And it's being used at this year's big bolt-action event at CanCon. It's one of the missions being used there. Another mission from that pack, Jump to Action, was the mission that the other mission that Patch played yesterday, and it will be part of the upcoming pack. Now, we did get feedback for Operation Bear that some new players were coming and they were having trouble keeping track of all the new missions. So rather than trialing the last two missions for the 2022 pack, knowing that our layout guy is absolutely snowed under and it wouldn't come out this year. I held it back and we are going to do proper playtesting for the last two missions, not at, not to mention the three fun missions that will be added later, but it will come out in 2023, hopefully in the first quarter of 2023. And it will not be the six missions that were in the 2020 pack. It will be six brand new playtested extensively, fair, symmetrical battlefield situations that you can play with your opponent and then three additional missions, which aren't so fair, but are a lot more fun as far as narrative gaming. They have much more random elements that we've gotten tons of feedback over the years saying that people like the not so random parts of it because they, they like a good fair game. But we've also gotten lots of feedback that Kitty Hawk Down from the original pack, which is very random, is also one of the favorites. So we will have six missions that have that minimize the random elements and three missions that include them so that you can play this style of bolt action that you want when you want using that pack. And of course, it will be free online. We will share it through the Bolt Action Alliance Facebook page, the Cast Dice Facebook page, and uh, on all of your favorite social medias for bolt action. Patch, you played a bunch of those missions yesterday. Thoughts? Yeah, absolutely good. And I'll just add add to that. Yes, it, it's an absolute free resource. Um, I think all that all that you would ask, Brad, and and the Ghost Army podcast is just that you credit the source if you put mission packs out and uh, event packs, those sort of things. Um, yeah, look, great missions, and and again, good to come into it and just consistently see fresh new missions. Uh, it just gives you that really nice sort of yep, the well thought out. Um, community tested and you know guaranteed to be to be pretty fun mission packs thanks man uh casey have you i know that you haven't had a chance to run out the missions but do you have any thoughts on the mission pack or should we no i'm just excited to finally i haven't had a chance to play them but you know now that we're cooking and going and especially the community here in austin i made a post to say is anybody interested in playing and i got probably i think it was 26 comments and at least half of those were like, hey, I bought stuff. I've just, is anybody playing here? 
So we'll kind of go into this in future episodes, but I'm like, okay, I need to do something here. So, Mm -hmm. and I mean, this is going to be a perfect, you know, kind of play test and I'm excited how well received our previous mission packs were. They've been used at events, you know, all around. We've heard great stuff from TO. So it's just something fun and exciting to do. Like you said, you know, do some different missions. You can only play key positions so many times. Right. (laughs) Or whatever it's called. I can't even remember now. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about what we've been up to. Um, we've been running a little long, so I do want us to talk about in length, you know, in depth a little bit about what we have planned because we got some big plans, but we also do need to get to the Christmas episode, guys. So, Patch, the big question, what are you going to do in bolt action? Okay, so since uh, since we spoke pre-episode about this, of course, changed my mind. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> however... Uh, there's a good reason for that is because I played the, the Seeks yesterday. So uh, my original intention uh, was to have two projects running side by side. One bit of a longer term project being the, the long range desert group. Uh, mm. I did do up a project a few years ago and I and I did look at the timestamp and it was 2016 I did that. And it was a whole bunch of vehicles, a whole bunch of infantry. Uh, and we ended up giving that away for a very good cause, uh, raising mm. money for an excellent charity at the time. And I got a little bit, uh, maybe I'll just revisit that this time and maybe I'll do them and and keep them this time. So I'm going to be looking at that and I'm just waiting upon an in-depth review from Casey as to the the Rubicon um, Chevys. And I need to make some decisions around how, you know, where I'm going to start because there is a a number of manufacturers now that produce the Chevys and the the different uh, vehicles for LIDG. So I've just got to kind of... uh, make a decision about that and I'll be starting a long-term project. And then the second one I was going to do British Paris because again, it was, it was one of the very first armies I ever did back at about 2010. And I, I moved them on early on and uh, focused on other armies, but it was like a bit of a, let's, you know, maybe I want to revisit that project as well. Uh, however, one of the issues that I have with that is that uh, trying to source miniatures and I'm quite picky about the miniatures. I, I'm a massive fan of artisan mm-hmm. designs when it comes to really good in-depth infantry projects, and uh, it's just incredibly hard to get at the moment in Australia. We we're really struggling, I think, with some international postage, and most of my local suppliers for those miniatures are, are just consistently out of stock. Yeah. So I'm I'm just going to put that project on hold, and luckily enough, I've I've managed to get my hands on a horde of artisan designs sick. <laughs> from mm-hmm. our good friend Brad here, and uh, I'm going to be starting on that project. And um, I just need to make a decision about what theater those uh, Sikh forces will be fighting in. So that's where I'm at. Brilliant. Well, I'm looking forward to talking Sikhs with you uh, as someone who enthusiastically loves playing Indian forces in bolt action. Um, I recently reacquired my Sikh army, my original Sikh army from Viv at Knights of Dice, and uh, I've been playing lots of games with it recently, and it's just such a a wonderful homecoming for me as far as bolt action goes. But I had rebought all the models I needed to make that army, Uh, not the vehicles per se, but all of the infantry models. And uh, when I reacquired the army, I suddenly had two, one of which I will never paint. And so uh, I'm glad that it's going to a good home. And I, I, man, you know, I love your painting style and I can't wait to see what you do with it. Yeah. I'm so. looking forward to it. I, uh, I'll, uh, definitely do some research and, and make sure it's, um, 
historical, the force. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's one of my caveats, but uh, I'll, I will do the the style of painting that makes them pop. Um, mm-hmm. Just a little twist on it. And I look forward to, to that project unfolding. Brilliant. Well, I can't wait. Casey, you have been uh, uh, looking at quite a few things. Uh, yeah, have well, you so- made any decisions? We are brothers in arms, so with our ADHD, you know, mm-hmm. I've got 37 armies in the works. By the time this podcast will come out, Patch will have completed two armies, and I will have painted two vehicles. But uh, nothing changes since we started this in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a the show Rogue Heroes, the new BBC show. Um, mm-hmm. UK put it on about the LRDG and SAS. Fantastic show. It got me hooked. It's one of the things, um, you know, really enjoyed it. So I was like, you know what? This isn't, I love painting vehicles, not a lot of infantry, it's veterans. So I'm kind of working on that. I have a Canadian army that I've been working on, probably maybe 20 infantry in one vehicle painted up. So going to finish up that kind of for some demos, get that. I already have a German army still. So really just kind of knock out this LRDG and then just really focus on a lot of Italian themed armies to play through the scenarios of the book we were just talking about. Yes. And then, uh, you know, Lord knows whatever else Warlord will put out each week, I'll buy, and then I'll start on that. Patch will yeah. have the done armies, and we'll just be plodding along. Same as usual, nothing changes. Well, Casey, if you're going to be playing the missions out of the Soft Underbelly slash Tough Gut books, I also highly recommend, and I'm pretty sure you already have it, Valhalla Games put out the oh. additional book, The Battle for Primazole Bridge, which is unbelievable. And I can't believe we didn't mention it during the Intel section. It's basically a whole new campaign book, but not by Warlord. It's by the guys at Valhalla Games. And those guys knocked it out of the park. Oh, fantastic book. I love how it has, you know, your your background, your history, your missions, a mm-hmm. paint guide, recommended paints. Mm-hmm. I mean, those guys really did just so good. If you have ever any questions, you message them, they reply back like super fast, mm-hmm. super friendly guys. No, I loved it. Yeah, so good. Well, I like Casey uh, have the attention deficit disorder. So, and I'm not. We're not joking here, kids. We actually do. What are we talking about? And that's what drives this show, in fact. <laughs> so, I earlier this year, I really wanted to paint a Soviet naval force. Uh, it's something that I've tried several times, and I've sold uh, after I black primed, and I just never could get going. But I was going through my cupboard, and surprise, surprise, I found most of an army. So, spoilers, uh, I started working on it. And that was my project for a good chunk of this year. And I have gotten a good chunk of the miniatures almost painted. Embarrassingly, I think I have almost 30 sailors, maybe 24, that are completely finished other than the bases and their hats. So I need to just get in the mood to paint some hats, I think. Plus, I have another, I think, 24 that all I need to do is paint the upper bodies. Now, you might say the lower bodies, that's not such a big deal. Um, But I found some really cool source photos that I was a little confused at when I first looked at it because they were naval infantry running around battlefields wearing white pants but it looked like warm weather. And I was thinking maybe it was a hot day in the winter and they're wearing, you know, winter onesie pants. But no, um, I actually discovered that some Soviet uh, naval troops uh, in the Crimea when they were fighting the Germans were wearing their white pants 
in summer months. Uh, and I thought that would be a wonderful opportunity for me to hate my life and paint a lot of white because I <laughs> love doing that. You love and painting so white. I have a Soviet naval force that almost entirely is wearing white trousers and black boots. And I, I think it's a really cool look. Uh, but it did take me a really long time to paint. <laughs> I tried a new way of painting white, which ended up with five separate shades of um, going from black through browns to ivory, you know, through bone to ivory to white to get the pants, the colors I wanted. And I'm a masochist and I love it. That said, I burnt out on that and I needed to take a break. And with the world bolt action world series happening earlier this year, which is a format where all of the armies are historically matched to the tables. I had discovered I own two Japanese painted armies that I wanted to use for that event, but I had no one for the jungle Japanese to fight on my jungle table. And so I pulled out my U S Marine models, which were the warlord original metals with uh, assault group, uh, Marines and I use contrast paints and highlighted through, um, thanks to patch and our buddy Ian in the UK, I figured out a quick, quick speed painting, uh, for me anyway, paint scheme in the span of a month, I've painted almost an entirely U S Marine army that I'm very happy with, but I have 20 more guys to finish in the vehicles before that is a full finished force that I can pull you know, pick and choose from moving forward. And that doesn't even include the weird GI Joe project, but we'll save that for another day. Gentlemen, let's get to our main topic. The ghost army 2022 holiday buying guide. Casey, this is your baby. What is it? So basically this is what I kind of copied off the lead pursuit podcast. Another podcast I do with some buddies for a uh, warlord games is blood red skies. What it is, is just, a um, couple different variables of monetary amounts of what you could buy the fellow wargamer in your life. So, you know, you have a buddy like, hey, you know what? I'm going to get him something, something nice. But how good of a buddy is that? How much are you going to spend on him? And this is going to help you out in deciding what you're going to buy him. That's right. And uh, maybe this is something you could uh, show your relatives if they're a little scared of going into the local game store to buy you something. I leave that up to you. But... On that note, we have our holiday buying guide. We're going to start with our first category, which is the one that everyone needs, the stocking stuffer, which is zero to $5. And it's tiny gifts. After all, it's the thought that counts. Patch, I, I feel like I know the answer to this question, but what would you give someone for $5 or less in the hobby world? Oh, without doubt, orange, brown, by Valley Val Joe. Valley Joe, right, Casey? That's how you pronounce it? Yes, Valley Joe? Exactly you pronounce so, it. Orange, brown, orange brown paint by uh, by Valley Joe paint. <laughs> it's just, it, 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 everyone needs it in their lives. It's an amazing color. It's perfect for working with uh, wood and creating those highlights after a, a more deeper, darker brown and to create a really nice looking uh, rifle. Yeah, exactly. Patch, um, I heard a rumor you bathe in this stuff. Is that is that accurate? It's true. Okay. <laughs> you pour it in your coffee in the morning? Mm, yes. Yeah, along with uh, a nice little uh, touch of, I believe it's called Iraqi sand. Yes. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, is Iraqi sand what you would use to highlight this paint up for your wood yes. grain? Yes, absolutely. It it goes really nice uh, along the top of it. Yeah, there's a there's a beautiful combination. Uh, Brian Cook uh, has has certainly taught me how to do, and then I've I've taken it on and ran with it, and uh, just a really good way to work up any wood grain or equipment. Love it, love it. Casey, how about you? What would you give someone for five dollars or less? <sighs> So I kind of copied this one again is I would buy the new contrast paint and Lord, I, hopefully it's only $5. I don't even, it depends where you buy it. Right. In Australia it might be $65, but, uh, it might be Garagak sewer. It's just kind of a dirty, just really good contrast paint for weathering kind of a rusty, just dirt. It'll be perfect for putting on the back of your tanks around the engines, the tracks, yeah. something like that. It's just, it worked out really well. I've been using it to weather some vehicles and I really like how it's looking and that coating it gives. Yeah. I likewise was going to pick a technical paint for, for mine, but they're literally, I think 12, 15, maybe $10 for a bottle here. Um, those are the big bottles though, because they don't sell them in the little bottles anymore, but the new mud paint for me, I thought that was one of those things that you would have to have, but it didn't fit the price. So I went with uh, Patch's favorite company, Vallejo, and I went with my go-to. Um, and in the last 12 to 15 months, I've spent a lot of time not painting metal using metallics. Um, I do a lot of non-metal metal using black gray as my base. I, I hit it with null oil and then I highlight up by you know, just adding a little bit more white to the black gray. And that's how I do almost all my grays. Again, it takes time, but I do love the color. If you're looking for a base dark gray um, for anything, I highly recommend it. It's got good coverage. It's really nice to use. Solid color. You know, I really do like that. I'm guilty of just using like lead belcher or like a metallic mm-hmm. for barrels, but it really does, I think, look better when you're using a black gray or the German gray and then highlight it up a little bit. It just looks a little bit better, but a little more realistic. And I use this color um, almost exclusively to do chipping. Oh, nice. It's a really mm-hmm. nice chipping color. It's not the, mm-hmm. the black. Uh, it's just a little bit lighter uh, and really goes well on your miniatures. So good paint, good selection. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, let's move on to the next category, which is the I'm obligated to buy you a gift, but otherwise I probably wouldn't. It's this $6 to $25 range, something for the neighbor who took care of your cats for the weekend when you went away or, you know, that secret Santa gift exchange at work. If the person happens to be a hobbyist, this is, um, you know, a little bit more, but not a lot more. And Casey, I think one of the things on your list is definitely out of this price range, at least in Australia, but we'll get to yours in a sec. Patch, what would you give to the person who watched uh, your beautiful dog for the weekend and was a hobbyist? Mm, Yes, well, if they're still alive and talking to me after that, uh, I would give them grass tufts. And I think a good example is your gamer's grass and and various other things. They're just so universally good and usable in whatever project someone may have and i still i've got a box of tufts that i i whenever i bought them i put them away sometimes years and years go by and and when i start a new project i just have Mm -hmm. a look in there and go what have i got and so i think it's a present that doesn't have to be used straight away and may get in a couple of years time but but will be forever useful casey 
How about you? So I don't know if people have seen, and we actually saw these at Millennium Con, the new bolt action order dice. If you see them that Warlord is offering, they're actually pretty cool looking. And I do like kind of the classic ones. When I say classic, I don't mean the old school, or if any of our listeners remember the old, like, very squared off dice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I always remember, like, during some events, people would put those old square ones in, and their opponents would have the normal ones we're used to with the rounded edges. It's like, no, that's not going to work, buddy. You can feel those. But, uh, yeah, they have some new ones, just a little bit different uh, color schemes and... Mm-hmm. Just a little bit different. I like it. Just something fresh and new. And also just maybe a couple sheets of decals. You know, Warlord, they sell their decals separate. Rubicon has some fantastic decals as well. People can always use them. It always makes your model pop to add some, you know, history to it. So mm-hmm. maybe a little combination of the two. I'm sure those ordered dice, I don't know, probably a down payment on a car there in Australia. I don't want to say Yeah, just a little combination of stocking stuff or like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they happen to be a little expensive at the moment, uh, but I think that has to do with supply and demand issues across the world. But they are one of those things that gamers can always, always, always use. If you're a bolt action player, it never hurts to have a second or third or fourth set of these things, because especially if you're playing in an event of any kind, your opponent is going to be running without fail the same color dice you are. It always happens. And you think you're being original by taking the white ones because they're a different color than everyone else's. But no, your opponent's going to have the same color. So you always need another one. I went with a new detail paintbrush or two. Now, I've pictured Games Workshop ones, and I know I'm going to catch heat for this, but because I came from a Games Workshop background, I do tend to turn and burn through the the Games Workshop brushes. Yes, I'm probably not the nicest to my brushes. Yes, I wash them out. No, I don't use the the fancy brush cleaners. I tend to run through a brush till I don't, I'm not comfortable using it anymore. And then I snap it and go get another one. And I usually have a small stack of these handy. Yes, it's probably disposable. No, it's probably not great. But I do buy these in twos all the time. And I always check to make sure they have a good point at the shop. And uh, I recommend if you have a gamer who also is like me and burns through brushes, it's probably not a bad idea to buy some more. Patch, are you shaking your head and wincing as I'm saying this? Uh, No. I I have a tendency to use quite expensive brushes. Hmm. Um, But I've also got a realistic expectation of their lifespan. Yeah. Casey? They work okay for me. Like, I'm not the best painter, so I really need every single advantage I can get. So I will buy the Windsor Newton ones. But, I mean, also, though, at this at this time and everything, with everything going on, it's hard to justify spending $30, $20 to $30 on a paintbrush. And then especially, you know, you might get a good one that lasts you six months, almost a year. And then other ones, I've had them where they, you know, start to splinter or fray within, like, three, after three mm-hmm. miniatures. So, yeah. I think the best I've had fine with GW brushes and stuff. Just take care of them. That's the big deal. Yeah. Now I do have an honorary mention. Now this is something that Patch and I were talking about yesterday. And I thought I would talk about today, which is glasses. Now you might think glasses. I don't Mm. wear glasses or glasses. I have glasses. Yes. Well, I've recently hit an age uh, where I need glasses for certain things. And One of the things that I've discovered I need glasses for is painting miniatures. 
I stubbornly stuck through 2020s lockdowns with things getting harder and harder and harder for me to see. And it was actually making painting really unfun. And it, I didn't even occur to me that I was having trouble seeing. It just, it looked like I, I just couldn't get happy with the way things looked. And when I took photographs of them later, I realized just how many little mistakes were there. And as a perfectionist like me, that drove me crazy. And it wasn't until our good friend Rick Vav recommended that I get one of those set of, it's like the thing from the 40-year-old virgin where they, it's like the, the little headpiece with the little, <laughs> you know, almost looks like a night goggles, but it, it's a little magnifying glass thing you put over your head. Um, I actually wore that for a little while. And then I was at the pharmacy getting something for my wife and I realized, hey, there are the magnifying glasses that, you know, I always just assumed were to help grandmas read. Well, turns out that is the perfect same magnification that I've been using uh, for painting for the last couple of years. So I, rather than having the big headset thing on my forehead when I'm painting, I actually now just have a pair of glasses that I put on to wear when I'm painting. And it has made such a difference. And they, in Australia, they're 10 to $20 at any pharmacy. I know across the world, they're in different costs in different places. But if you're getting to be a certain age, or sometimes you just can't focus on it, it's getting frustrating. It's it's not a big deal to throw them on to see the fine detail. And my God, does it make a difference? Patch? Mm, well, as a person who just uh, got, you know, reached an age where I, I wasn't focusing very well on miniatures mm -hmm. and uh, being stubborn as to it must be the light, right? It's always got to be the light. Then realizing yes. it's the middle of the day and you've got plenty of sunshine coming in and you still can't focus on those details, a realization dawns on you that maybe it is that I'm actually getting old. And uh, as a person who then frog marched myself down to the optometrist and did eye testing and, and the comment from the lovely optometrist of, you're just getting old. You need some <laughs> no. glasses. So, so I've uh, admitted defeat. My eyes are not as amazing as what they used to be. And I currently have several pairs of prescription glasses mm -hmm. waiting for me when I get home. I would probably just add that to that, Brad. If, if you are starting to struggle to see things, maybe it's worth just doing the same and, and finally going and seeing an optometrist and getting some prescription glasses yeah. as well. <laughs> that might be, might be valuable. Exactly. Well, Casey, you're not wearing glasses at all, so I think it's definitely time to move on to the next thing, yeah. looking at your glasses. <laughs> so the next category is a, a bit nicer gift. This is for the person that asks if it's okay if they pick up and look at your miniature before they grab it, particularly if they've been eating Cheetos. We like these people. They might even wipe their hand on their pants before they pick up your models, which is nice. And so that's the $25 to $50 mark. This needs to be something nice, but shouldn't break the bank. Uh, you need to keep these people happy, but there are often other people that you need to spend the big bucks on. Patch, what are you thinking? Mm. Yeah, you're a good person. I like you. You're going to get a squad of Crusader miniatures, French motorcycle troops. <laughs> yeah, it's a gateway drug. They're, they're actually really fantastic miniatures. Uh, Crusader... Mm -hmm. Miniatures did do a whole, and they have done a whole range a few years ago, and, and they're such clean yeah. and unique miniatures. I, I really like them, and I, and I do have quite a few of them. So, yeah, I like you. Let me share my things with you. 
I love it. I love it. Casey, how about you? Man, I am hooked right now on the AK Interactive. I believe it's what, 3G? I'm not talking about cell phone stuff either. They're paint sets. Like I said earlier, I need every advantage when painting. And AK Interactive, right now, they've made a lot of paint sets. They have a Vietnam, World War II. They have a World War One one. They range from anywhere from four paints to eight paints. So depending, it could be for anywhere from about 20 USD to about 50-ish. And they're just really good paints. They have a little paint guide usually on the back of the box. So I recommend them, um, especially with the price of the euro right now and stuff. You can order from overseas. Mm-hmm. But most of the retailers here in the U.S., I don't know about Australia, but they have them, um, you know, Miniature Market, Michigan Toy, um, yeah. all of those. You can find them on eBay, stuff like that. But there's some really good paints. I like them. They work well for the what's the thing i'm looking for like the scale color wise like they're a little bit brighter than they should be so when you're painting smaller miniatures they stand out more i'm embarrassed to say i've never bought an ak paint but i think uh, i definitely need to try that at some point because so many people have talked about their uniform colors it's just so good i in my dabblings with all things soviet for my naval troops i discovered a great coat soviet squad that i really liked now i own several boxes of the warlord plastic soviet gray coat models in fact i converted an entire japanese army in great coats using those plastics that patch painted thanks patch and I discovered Artisan had snuck out in the last couple of years a bunch of new Soviet releases. They have wonderful new scouts, wonderful new engineers and body armor. And they put out a couple of boxes of units in great coats, ones in helmets and one with the furry hats. And I bought one of each and I'm going to use them as my free squad in my naval troop army. But When I opened them up, I was just really happy with the quality of the models. And it, like Patch is going to probably recommend a lot of French stuff. I'm going to recommend some great coat stuff. And I thought that this squad was red hot. So highly recommend those. And you can get them direct from Artisan and North Star Miniatures for a very good price for metals. Depending on where you are, though, shipping might be the issue. But um, let's move on to the You've Been Good. You've been very, very good. And it's the $50 to $250 range. You've been a good, good boy, good girl, good gender neutral hobbyist this year. You deserve a nice gift. This is what you really want to see under the tree at Christmas. Patch, I'm going to wince because I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say. But hit us with it anyway. Yeah, 100%. Have an early war French army. You deserve the best. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> of course he was going to say it. Yeah, exactly. And I don't mean the 20 miniature box either. You mean the whole kit and caboodle, all the vehicles, all the infantry. Yes, yeah. right? You're, you're, ro- you're rolling out in style from this moment on. <laughs> all right, De Gaulle. Uh, let's move on. Casey, what would you recommend? So I went ahead and recommended the Gentleman's War box, especially, like I said, with uh, bolt action excitement the way it is. Right now you have Warlord's Black Friday sale, so even this is on sale right now. It's just a good box. It's a fun theater, you know, You have, and it's a great wear, great place to start, too. You know, yeah. it's not that hard to paint these uniforms. You're not looking at a lot of complicated camouflage. You can start a basic demo with, with the forces in the box. You have your mm-hmm. Africa Corps and your British right there. It comes with the not yet seen in plastic, uh, the 222, and I think is it the Humber armored car? Yeah. 
I can't think off the top of my head. Anyway, it's just a cool little box. You got your rule book, and it's just a great little starter set. I just think it looks neat, and I just I've always loved this theater of war too. So why not, right? Like, hey, and even the veteran hobbyists can still use these. You know, you could add a squad to whatever or use the spruce for kit bashing. So mm-hmm. really well done, Warlord, on this box. It's really good. And both of those armor cars can be used in any style Desert oh, War yeah. game for those two nations. So really all you need to do is get a squad box and you can make your lieutenant, you can make your sniper, you can make your machine gun teams using all those sprues. Um, but with a squad box and what you get in this, you'll have all the infantry and the armored car add a tank and man, you're ready to rock and roll, maybe a mortar team. And you have yourself a, a really good desert war army. It's, it's a great box. Highly recommend. As you said, now, I hemmed and hawed, and I was going to say the Empress U-boat model because I'm looking at possibly making a dock board for bolt action. More to come on that in future episodes. But that got me thinking about terrain. And we all have a mountain of models to paint. And for me, more in that category is probably just going to add to my stress of not knowing what to paint next. So... I highly recommend the Geek Villain Battle Mat series. They have so many good things, be it the fleece mats that are just wonderful and durable and they look so good on the tabletop, or their double-sided cloth mats. Uh, I have both. I have many of both. They are mostly the mats that I use in all of the bolt action events that I run, and I couldn't recommend them more. They are just wonderful quality. And again, you don't have to paint them. And it's you throw it down on the tabletop and you're ready to go. And just by changing the mat, it really can, even if you already have a battle mat and you have some great terrain, if you get a slightly different mat and put it down, it gives your table new life. And again, it takes zero effort for you to just throw down a different mat and it gives you a fresh place or narrative to play the game that you're playing. Couldn't recommend more. The other thing that I'd recommend is I have always used Battlefield in the box for for trees and for terrain. I love the pre-painted stuff. I just think they're fantastic. But I was looking for something slightly different, um, particularly since Battlefield in the box recently changed the way they do their trees. And while they look fantastic, they're just not as durable as the ones they used previously. And I tend to be fairly hard-wearing on my terrain because I do take it to a lot of events. And so a friend turned me on to Monster Fight Club and they are hard plastic completely. There is no organic bits to get wrecked or organic fragile bits to get wrecked. These are the most durable trees I've ever seen. And you can take the tops off and they have just um, the branches. So if you want to have something that looks you know, like a battlefield that's been blown out. You know, you have a couple of tree stumps and you have the trees without leaves that you can put down, which is a really nice look. Couldn't recommend these again more. They are pricey, uh, but if you get three to four of these, it's about the cost of a battle mat or two. Um, Again, for the price point, if someone's looking for a larger gift, getting three or four of these will get you everything you need for the tabletop. And the kidneys that they come on, if you flip them over, has a pond. So you can actually then add water features as well. And these trees are great individually as well if you want to put them in different places on the battlefield just to make it look like you're actually playing in real life and uh, not on a a 28 millimeter board. Highly recommend. 
but they again, have some great terrain. They're, right? They do a thing of stones too. That's actually really clever and some other stuff. Exactly. And I, I just ordered some of their pine trees and I haven't tried them yet, but I'm sure we'll talk about them on a future episode. Again, durable, pre-painted. You just open the box and you're ready to go. Again, couldn't recommend more. Now let's talk about the last category, the lump of coal. Zip, zero, not a mucho, zero dollars. We all have to buy gifts for people that we don't really like. You buy them just to keep the peace. Think of that pain in the ass in law or your boss, who's also a huge pain in the ass, but is also trying to be one of the bros. You got to get them something. What are you going to do for those people in your life who are war gamers? And yeah, you know who I'm talking about. Patch, what are you going to do? Yeah, put a lot of thought into this. Uh, I'm actually going to get them a, an early war French army. <laughs> um, but what I'm actually going to do with that is then once they've built it and I've encouraged them to explore what inexperienced horde French army look like, I'm then going to have a game with them where I'm going to take a dual Panzer IV late war German army and watch them cry. <laughs> Tiger fear. Yeah. A zero might, of their units activate the entire game. That might be a few more dollars than zero patch. Well, a rough, rough guess. Rough guess, okay. Is zero dollars the, the cost of the pain at the end to watch in their faces? I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's an investment for the future. Casey, what would you recommend for this person in your life? I would get them an airbrush because nothing tells my <laughs> patients more than an airbrush that I want to send into orbit every other night. If it works, it works great for, but I mean, we're talking a limited time, like five minutes and maybe I'm doing it wrong. I swear I'm doing it right. I've been hobbying for a while, but I have the worst luck with airbrushes and it just drives me insane. I don't know why I just don't use patches sponge method, just paint with a brush. It's going to turn out fine, but I insist on using an airbrush and just taking years off my life every night. My poor child has probably learned the worst words that I've yelled from that garage messing with that airbrush. Again, possibly more than zero dollars, but uh, I like where your heart is there, my good man. I like where your heart is. Well, I thought long and hard, uh, but I went with something. Uh, many, many years ago, I worked in a pretty fun office environment, and we uh, did get into the habit, it being a sales floor, with writing battle haiku to one another when we were bored, um, where we insulted one another and challenged each other to games. And um, we would often send them to the factory in the back who thought we were literally insane for doing this. But I have a battle haiku for folks. Insults you fire, but arrows at the moon. My true self untouched. And that I stole from Dean Jackson. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't take a lot of time to come up with a good haiku. They don't take a lot of time because they are super short. And um, you can often leave the recipient questioning both you, your sanity, and life in general. So for zero dollars and just a few minutes of your time, I highly recommend uh, a bad haiku. Brad, yes. I'm feeling a little bit I'm feeling a little bit targeted. Is this is this actually about every AT gun I've ever had? <laughs> <laughs> every sniper dice you've rolled. Yeah. Every sniper dice I've rolled or AT gun that I've lovingly painted, put on the table, and then managed to not hit a single thing. 
I think it is. Patch, I'm just saying you can read into a haiku a number of different ways. Mm. If it's a well-written haiku. And I think you've proven my point. Thank you, sir. Mm. Well, gents, I think the big question as we roll out of the holidays is where are we going with this? Is this a holiday, uh, a little holiday bonus for all of the Gap fans out there? Or what does the future hold? To quote to Keanu Reeves, are we back? Yeah, I'm thinking we're back. Glad you got <laughs> That's it. That's the thing. This isn't, this is just a start, right? We'll be mm -hmm. back with all the hobby, you know, talking about the history, all the stuff that we love. Patch? Yeah. See you soon. All right. Folks, we are very excited to bring the Ghost Army podcast back. If you are watching this on YouTube and you would like to find us online, you can go to the Bolt Action Alliance Facebook page. That is the official Facebook page for the Ghost Army podcast. You would have seen the logo in the corner of many of the slides if you're looking at this on YouTube. If you are listening to this as a podcast, you have obviously found this as part of the Cast Dice Podcast Network, which is also on Facebook. And we'll also have content from this show shared on it. However, the primary page for this podcast is the Bolt Action Alliance. You will be able to follow the hobby progress and our trials and tribulations on that page. And yes, kids, that means there will be a lot more content on that page than there has been in recent years. And we are very much looking forward to the journey of bringing Bolt Action back to the Bolt Action Alliance. Friends, it's a, a big, crazy world out there. But when you are going through life, when you are playing the games that we know and love, we hope that you are having fun, you are staying safe, especially these crazy holiday seasons. It's great to see you with the Ghost Army podcast, and we look forward to seeing you with future episodes. Good night.
Start.